Hebrews chapter 9 beginning with verse 2. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the table, tables of the covenant, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Now I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on this subject. The holiest of all. The holiest of all. Could we lift up our hands again to God, lift up our voices again to God, and ask his blessing upon this service and the preaching of his word. Lord, I thank you. I deeply thank you for the gathering of your people. The precious people of God that you have suffered, bled, and died, and rose from the dead on their behalf. And I thank you, Lord, that you've brought us together into this place. Lord, after a, after a time of great uncertainty and challenge in our world, you have yet again shown yourself to be the great and faithful Savior. And I pray today as the word of God goes forth that you will bless us and help us to receive your holy word. Enlighten our eyes. Reveal yourself to our hearts and help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And the church said, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. And amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. People don't seem to be afraid of committing sins anymore. Uh, sin just doesn't seem to carry with it the concern that people may have once associated with it. And this is not uncommon and this is not new. This is an ongoing challenge for many generations of humanity really since the fall of man. Sin gradually gets worse. People forget its impact on their life, its negative impact upon their life. And, uh, and in fact, we even kind of play around with sin. Um, in fact, I, I heard, I saw, a, I saw an advertisement for a, a, a dessert at a restaurant where I was eating, and the dessert said it it's so good, it must be a sin. That's just kind of how the world looks at it. Is that if it's good, there's got to be something wrong with it. And, and, and I, I wish that we could somehow understand 
the hideous nature of sin itself, of that, that sin and the, and the devils that lurk behind each temptation. Because sin is not innocent, sin is not harmless. Sin is something that, that when it's participated in, it brings along with it a terrible, terrible circumstance of death. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that when Adam disobeyed, that sin came and, and death came by sin. Death entered the world through and by sin. And if people could actually see the, the exposed spirit that lures them into committing sin, they wouldn't have anything to do with it. They would flee temptation. They would run for their lives. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent was the most subtle beast of the field. And his words seemed to make sense to Eve. But if she could have known that that was the the devil himself, she would have run for her life. Many people don't know that sin is what it is until it is too late. It has already <clears throat> sunk its teeth, if you please, into their soul. But, but I wish that we could go back and, and just have a glimpse of what life was like before sin ever entered into the world. Just how rich just how beautiful, just how precious the communion with God really was. There, is, there would be no misconception about God, no misunderstanding about His ways, not, not if you could go back prior to any sin having ever been committed. The whole earth declared and sang with with. with absolutely unfettered unison that the glory of God is spread abroad throughout the earth. But sin entered the picture and it tainted everything and it jaded everything and it, it jaundiced everything. Everything just took on a sickly nature. And, and that's just the way that, that sin is. You can relate to it in your own life. You've had relationships that that soured because of a misdeed or a broken trust, some kind of an act that changed everything. And you wish that you could go back, back to before the temptation was fallen into, back to before the snare had laid its trap, back to before the anger raged, back to before the addiction set in, back to before there was ever an act of of breaking one's trust and, and, and you wish you could because you know the destructive nature that those sinful acts brought upon your life and the lives of those that you love. That is the way sin operates and our world does not have a proper perspective of sin. And this is, again, not uncommon, not unusual. It is the way of man. There is a reason why man does not know the difference between right and wrong. There is a reason why generations become removed from any God consciousness and they begin to literally call evil good and good evil truth falseness and falseness truth this is the way of man and and so God 
God too wants to have a restored communion with man. God too wants it to be reconciled, this relationship that he had with man. He longs for that early communion, that early connection, that early peace, that early life that, that had no death even threatening it or present. God loves and longs for that as well. And, and this is why... God had to help man understand what is the separating factor between God and man. And that separating factor is sin. Sin is the separating factor between you and God. God hates sin. I said God hates sin. Preachers, many have stopped preaching against sin because it's not popular to preach against sin. Some people say don't preach about sin or, or I won't support the ministry that you're promoting and presenting. But, but, but we don't have a ministry if we don't talk about sin. Because sin is the separating factor between God and man. And, and so we must preach against sin. God hates sin. Not because God is a hater, but because sin separates us from him. In other words, God hates sin because he loves us and he wants to have relationship with us. That is why God hates sin. And so, so God instituted his law. The man Moses had received the law of God and God was going to give his law to the people of Israel so that they could understand the difference between right and wrong, the difference between the holy and the profane, the difference between truth and error. God gave his law to Moses so that he could start the long journey back to reconciliation with his, his children, mankind. God wants to reconcile the world unto himself. Now, now, even if man understands that he is sinful, and even if man understands that there is a thing called right and wrong, even if man understands that he ought to not have sin, that he ought to be righteous, man is still incapable of producing or providing for his own salvation. And so God had a plan, which was to manifest himself into the human flesh of mankind. And that plan was that God would take upon himself the punishment that man had coming to him for the sins he, man, had committed. And this was God's plan from the foundation of the world. Before he created anything, he had a plan to pick up the pieces that man would inevitably shatter and, and rupture as he failed miserably to ever be righteous before God. God said before he created anything, before the foundation of the world, I'm going to come into the form of man and I'm going to be the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. And so, so God had a plan. But man could not hear the voice of God. Man didn't know the things of God. Man didn't understand one thing about God. So before you and I start thinking we're God experts, before you and I start thinking, you know that word theologian, we think that's some big, high, and lofty word. All that means is a studier of God. 
That's all a theologian is, is one who studies God. Whether we ever come to an understanding is another thing. Flesh and blood cannot reveal it to you. But my Father which is in heaven, he has to reveal, Jesus said, he has to reveal it to us. Hallelujah. And so God has this, has this plan. And he gave this law to Moses. This law that he gave to Moses was to draw a stark contrast for man. This is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is evil. This is holy and this is profane. And it was kind of a, it throttled man. It was an eye opener for man to realize that there are things that are wrong. There are, there's a reason why I'm in this vicious cycle of depression and chaos and confusion and brokenness and hurt and anger and malice. There's a reason why I can't get ahead. There's a reason why all of my relationships are fractured. There's a reason why I envy everyone. There's a reason why I lust after things that are not good for me. It's because there is a right way to live and there's a wrong way to live and and nobody on this earth can teach me the difference unless God reveals it to them and so this law that God gave to the people of Israel the Bible said that it was not the end all it was not the fullness of things to come but that it was a schoolmaster it was a teacher it was a tutor it was it was it was a schoolmaster that would lead them to Christ it was always about Christ. It was always about Messiah. It was always about the Lord in flesh. Jesus the Christ. Jehovah becoming our salvation. The invisible holy God of Israel becoming our salvation. But, but people could not understand that concept. Because they couldn't, even, they couldn't even understand that they themselves were sinners. So God had to bring the law into perspective. And he had to show them the deep and horrific nature of sin. Without God showing that to us, we start to think that everything we feel is the right way to think. We start thinking that our opinions are truth, that our conjecture is right, that everybody who disagrees with me is wrong. But, but God said, no, I'm going to give you a law, and that law is going to expose to you and reveal to you the reality that you are far from God and that you are not saved in and of yourself. And perhaps that, that illustration in the law was no... Was, was most greatly emphasized in what is called the tabernacle plan. God wanted to show them Christ in the tabernacle plan. Now the tabernacle was the church in the wilderness. It was a tent that was set up everywhere that the children of Israel would go. This tabernacle was set up and it had a, it had a distinctive responsibility. It was, it was where the priest of the Lord would, would step into and offer a sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of Israel. And this was the only way their sins could be atoned. But their sins were not, not completely redeemed. They were not completely removed. It was just deferred for about a year. Once every year the high priest had to step into this tabernacle on the day of atonement. And offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. And it's so interesting because, because the rigorous process that was involved in this sacrifice 
was almost, it, it seems unreasonable. It seems irrational. First and foremost, in order to even become a priest, you had to be nearly perfect in every way, physically speaking. You could have no blemish, no wart. There could be no, no kind of flaw on your person. There, there could be no physical uh, malfunction or dysfunction. There could be no uh, malignity of a physical nature if you were going to be a priest. So even to become a priest... You had to be nearly perfect in your physical person. And, and not only did you have to be nearly perfect in your physical person, but you had to come from a specific tribe. You had to come from the, the Levitical priesthood, which was the tribe of Levi. You, you had to be a son of Aaron and come from the tribe of Levi. And this was your lot, and this was what was required for you to become a priest and and this there were so many regulations and so many rules and if you qualified if you met those standards then there was a whole host of new standards that were required of you and so for instance on the day of atonement the priest would 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 get ready for this task now this was the this was the holiest day of the year for the children of Israel because this was the day that their sins were going to be removed from them for another year. And the priest had an incredible responsibility. Because this could be the day that he died. Standing in what is called the holiest of all places. Traditionally we call it the holy of holies. Because there were so many things of God that are holy. Anything that God touches becomes holy. But when this, this place was the holy of holies, as we have called it, but the Bible calls it the holiest of all places. Now there were so many things that took place. There was an outer court. At this outer court is where the brazen altar sat. And this is where sacrifice was made. There was a labor of water. And this labor of water is where the priest would do all sorts of ritual cleansing, ceremonial cleansing, bathing himself in this, in this water and, and cleansing himself from the sacrifices that he had made. Then he would enter into the, uh, the, the, the sanctuary and he would enter into the inner court. And in this inner court, there were holy vessels there. There was a table of showbread and that's what he would partake of. And there was an altar of incense and there were seven golden candlesticks all inside this covered inner court. And the priests could enter into the inner court. They could all come into the inner court. But on the Day of Atonement, something, something shifted, something changed. On the Day of Atonement, this was the only day that the holy of holies or the holiest of all places could be entered into and it wasn't available to every priest only the high priest could enter into the holiest of all places it was covered by a veil of mystery this veil covered that holiest of all places and and what was behind there was not known to everybody or just anybody no any regular person could walk into the holiest of all places. And the high priest, who was nearly perfect, and the high priest, 
who had already gone through so much ritualistic and regulatory behavior so that he could maintain his priesthood. Even he couldn't just wander on in there. He had to go through just a meticulous process. And he could only go in one time a year. And if he went in on that one time a year without having firmly and thoroughly secured himself in that process, he would have died. So the high priest walks into the holiest of all places and there's certain things that must happen. Number one, he must bathe himself thoroughly according to the law. He must make sure he is cleansed and he is purified. There is fasting that has gone on that has purified him physically. He has removed from his physical person any uncleanness at all. And then he must put on himself linen garments pure linen garments a linen mitre that goes about his head and a linen robe and linen breeches or breeches and a linen girdle he has to cover himself with absolute pure linen and he has to take with him he has to take with him fire and he has to take with him this sweet-smelling incense that he can burn before the Lord inside the holiest of all places because he could die if the incense is not there covering the mercy seat. He has to take with him the blood of a bullock. The blood of the bullock is for his own sin. Any sin that he may have committed, he has to walk into that holiest of all places. The Bible said he better not come in there without blood. If he comes in there without blood, he'll die. He has to carry with him the blood of a bullock. And the blood of the bullock is for his sin. Because this is not a perfect man. He's as perfect a man as you can find. But he's not a perfect man. And he has to take with him the blood of a bullock that he has sacrificed. And he walks into the holiest of all places with that blood of a bullock to offer as a sign of himself being, being covered for his sins. Then he takes with him the blood of a goat. And the blood of a goat is offered in that holiest of all places for the sins of Israel. But that wasn't the only goat that he brought to the temple that day, to the tabernacle. He brought two goats. One goat is sacrificed. That's the blood of that goat that he brings in for the sins of Israel. And the other goat, he lays both hands on the head of the other goat. And he confesses every transgression of every Israelite. Every sin that the Israelites have committed, he confesses those sins and those transgressions as he lays his hands on the head of that goat, and that goat becomes a scapegoat. That goat is handed into the hands of a fit man, a man who is capable of handling a stubborn and rebellious goat. And he takes that goat as far as he can possibly take it, the Bible says to a land uninhabited, a land that is desolate, so that that goat will never return with the sins of the people on its head. That is a meticulous process. Anybody want to try your hand at figuring all that out? 
practicing that, doing that. And, 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 and I just, and listen, I gave you a real brief, concise, non-thorough summary of what really happened. If you'd like, we can spend the rest of the afternoon reading the book of Leviticus. But, 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 but this is the meticulous process. Why did God provide such a meticulous and even brutal process? Because it was a schoolmaster that led people to Christ. This was not an end of itself. But he was driving this point home to Israel that there is a brutality involved with sin. Sin has separated you from God. You can't go beyond the veil. You would die if you go beyond the veil. The glory, listen, it isn't even because God would would react with wrath or with anger. His glory was too much for people to even perceive. Moses asked him, Lord, can you show me your glory? And the Lord said, Moses, I want nothing more than to show you my glory. But I cannot show you my glory because if I did, it would consume you. You in your physical person cannot Behold my glory. So he said, Moses, the only way for you to see my glory is for you to hide yourself in a place by me, in the cleft of the rock. Let me put my hand over you, and I will cause myself to pass by before you. And the Lord did that. He put his hand over Moses and passed by before him. And, and, and when he lifted his hand, Moses didn't even see God. He just saw the hinder parts of God. And when he saw the hinder parts, the glory of, of, of the hinder parts of God were so much that it lit Moses' face up and he was illuminated by what he just observed, what he just witnessed. See, you can't enter into the presence of God. Tell Israel that, that they can't come into the presence of God. Tell the high priests they can't come into the presence of God. There's a separating factor between me and my people. I will come down. I will visit you. But you've got to put a veil up so nobody dies. You've got to put a veil up. And you've got to enclose this place with badger skins and goat skins. And you've got to make sure that nobody trespasses or they will be consumed on the spot. I want relationship with my people. But they are sinful and they are carnal. And they are full of uncleanness. And if they come into my presence, they will surely die. So I want you to get as, as close to perfection as you can. One man. He's got to have no flaws. He has to be thoroughly bathed. He has to be completely cleansed. He has to go through ritual cleansing. He has to put upon himself pure garments. Pure, pure, pure garments. He has to walk in completely pure. As pure as a human being can possibly become. He has to fast in order to guarantee this purity. And he's got to bring the blood of a bullock that has been sacrificed. And he's got to bring in the blood of a goat that has been sacrificed. And he's got to lay hands on a goat and remove those sins of the people as far from, from the camp as it can possibly be made. And then and only then can he enter into my presence and, and sprinkle the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat upon the mercy seat. 
in the holiest of all places. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that this was a schoolmaster that led people to Christ. This brought people to an understanding of who Christ was. Why? Did an did a animal have to be sacrificed? And why was this so brutal? Why was there so much blood? This seems like such an unusual account. And why is the Old Testament full of so much information on it? Because it's leading you to a place called Calvary. Where there's going to be the purest man that ever walked the earth. God manifest in human flesh. There will be no sin in him. There will be no hidden agenda in him. There will be no malice in him no envy in him no pride in him no lust of the flesh in him there'll be no fornication in him there'll be no idolatry in him there'll be no adultery in him there'll be no sin no transgression no iniquity he is the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world and when he is sacrificed it's going to be brutal when he's sacrificed they're going to wound him and they're going to bruise him. They're going to strike him and smite him and afflict him. I want you to understand the brutality of that so that when it happens you know he is the Messiah. Do you know that the forgotten chapter, the forgotten chapter from the book of Isaiah chapter 53, it used to be read in the synagogues. It used to be read before the people of Israel, but it's now begun to be shunned because it clearly defines who Messiah is. Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground he hath no form nor comeliness and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him he is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief we hid as it were our faces from him hallelujah and we esteemed him not surely he hath borne our griefs that's the scapegoat and carried our sorrows that's the scapegoat yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted he was wounded not for his transgressions but for our transgressions he was bruised not for his iniquities he had no iniquities but for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed Ah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, just as that priest would put both hands upon that goat and confess every transgression Israel had committed that year. Every sin, every cheating, every lie, every lust, every violation of the law that Israel had committed would be confessed over that goat and that goat would be sent away never to be seen again. That's exactly what happened when Jesus was crucified. He was the scapegoat. 
quote, and on him laid God the iniquity of us all. Every iniquity that you have ever committed, every sin that you have ever committed, the Lord laid on that scapegoat, that Messiah, that precious Savior. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. When I look upon that cross and I see Jesus on that cross, I'm looking at myself. That's, that's me that should be on that cross. You're living in a world that makes you comfortable with your sin. Just like the serpent made, comfortable, made Eve comfortable in the Garden of Eden. You're living in a world that makes you comfortable with your transgressions. Just like Delilah made Samson comfortable with his haircut. You're living in a world that makes you feel comfortable living in a sin that's bringing death and damnation upon you but I have good news to bring there is a savior there is a messiah the lord of glory who took upon himself the form of a man took upon himself the form of the lamb the form of the scapegoat the form of the bullock hallelujah He's different than the high priest of the Old Testament. The high priest had to go in once a year because he wasn't perfect. He had to go in acting perfect. He had to go in pretending to be as perfect as he possibly could. He went in trying to, trying to come in with linen garments and fasting and making sure that he had, he had not transgressed in any possible way that he could think of. But in his best intentions and efforts, he was not perfect. You are in that same category. I am in that same category. I put on my Sunday go to meet and close today. I did my best to prepare for this service, but I'm not perfect and I need a Savior. You come here today with your best efforts and your best intentions, but you're not perfect. You need a Savior. There is a separating factor between us and God. There is a veil that stands between us and the holiest of all places. It's the holiest of all places. Now, there were a lot of holy places. There were a lot of holy pieces of furniture. But the holiest of all. You want to know about the holiest of all places. This holiest of all places. There's a block between you and I. We're mere mortals. We're just human beings. You can dress us up if you like. We can fast as much as we want. We can put on whatever linen, linen garments we can find. But we're still human. And we're still incapable of entering the holiest of all places. Hallelujah. The book of Hebrews was written to the church. It was written to those Jews who had come into the revelation of Jesus Christ, who had received his spirit, who were baptized into his name. And notice what the writer of the book of Hebrews explained. He said, listen, he said, when the golden censer was, the golden censer was beyond the second veil. It was the holiest of all places. The Ark of the Covenant that was overlaid round about with gold. And there was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it were the cherubims of glory. And they were shadowing the mercy seat. And he said, we cannot now speak particularly of this place. He said, in other words, and the writer of Hebrews would often do this. He said this in Hebrews 11 as well. Time would fail me to tell you. 
about Gideon and Deborah and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. This is what he did here. We cannot now speak particularly of these things. Time wouldn't even allow me to tell you the depth, the depth of what all that represented. The cherubims and the mercy seat and the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat. Time would fail me to tell you about all that's represented in that holiest of all places. Just understand that the high priest went in there once a year to atone for the sins of the people. But he said, we have a better high priest. We have a high priest that entered once into the holy place. But he didn't enter into the holy place of the Old Testament, which was a figure of the true. He entered into heaven itself. He entered into the holiest of all places and made real redemptive atonement for mankind. Hallelujah. Thou that dwellest between the cherubims. This high priest would walk into that holiest of all places and there he stood with incense lifting up to the Lord. There he stood with the blood of a bullock for his own sin. There he stood with the blood of a goat for the sins of Israel. And he's got linen garments decorating him, hoping he doesn't die. Hoping that he can atone for the sins of the people. Hoping that it will all work out. Nobody else has access to this place. Just him. Just the high priest, and he's standing in that holy place. When Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter, he was like that bullock, he was like that goat, he was like the Passover lamb. When Jesus answered not a word to Herod, he was like that bullock, like that goat, he was like the Passover lamb. When Jesus, who was innocent, had upon him the transgressions of all mankind. He was like that bullock, like that goat, and like that Passover lamb. When Jesus was wounded and bruised and beaten and afflicted, he was like that bullock, that lamb, that scapegoat. Here he was, innocent and pure and perfect, innocent, blameless, a, a perfect high priest, the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice. And they nailed him to a cross. And as he stood upon that cross, he made seven statements, the last of which was, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gives up the ghost. And when he gave up the ghost, the earth did quake. And when the earth began to quake and the sun went dark, the Bible said that a centurion looked around and saw the earth begin to quake. And he saw the sun go dark. And he said, truly, this was the son of God. Because of the earth's reaction to his death upon that cross. I'm going to tell you something that happened. Something else that happened on the day that Jesus was crucified. When he gave up the ghost, that veil that stood as a mystery, as a barrier. 
barrier to every man who walked the earth. Even the priests could not enter beyond that veil. Only the high priest, and he could only go in one time a year, and he could only go in after such meticulous care was given to his arrival. But that veil was rent. It was torn from the top to the bottom, and it revealed the holiest of all places. Ah, ah. I want you to know why that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. It was torn from the top to the bottom because the real high priest had just entered into the real holiest of all places. The real high priest had just entered into where the mercy seat dwelled. And now the glory of God is not a mystery. Now the glory of God is not something that you are prevented from entering into. Now the glory glory of God can be accessed by whosoever will. Ah, Lord, mercy. Hallelujah. You can go take that veil, pull it apart, look inside and see the golden censer and see the cherubims overlaid with gold and see the mercy seat and see the blood of the bullock and the goat. All of it, all of it, all of it has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, on that beautiful and great day, hallelujah, when, when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible said that Peter and John came running to the tomb, and when they looked inside, they saw a familiar sight to the high priest. The high priest had seen this sight many times through the years, and that that sight that you can see there is, is an angel at the head of where Jesus had lain and an angel at the foot of where Jesus had lain. Jesus is the mercy seat. That's what that high priest would see. He would see an angel at the head of mercy and an angel at the foot of mercy. And those mercy angels that were looking over mercy, they were outstretched. Their wings were touching one another and they were looking down upon the mercy of God and they were protecting it if you please Yuza had tried to touch it but Yuza was not perfect enough to touch it Yuza fell down dead because he in his carnal humanity tried to manhandle the things of a glorious God that was the danger ladies and gentlemen that's what it looked like in the holiest of all places but when they stepped inside that tomb and they looked at the real where the real mercy seat had laid there sat an angel not stood an angel sat an angel at the head and there sat an angel at the foot the reason they were sitting down and not standing is because their job was done and their mission was accomplished and mercy didn't have to be protected anymore mercy didn't have to be guarded anymore and you didn't have to be a high priest to get in there. Hallelujah. I want you to know anybody, anywhere, from any nation or tribe or kindred or tongue can approach the mercy seat of God. Hallelujah. My God, he tore the veil open and he said, whosoever will. 
Listen, I want you to understand, it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you did this week. You can come right now into the presence of God, and you can say, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. You can receive forgiveness for your sins. You can repent from your sins and remove that which separates you from God. He's a faithful God. He's a loving Father. He's a merciful God. Hallelujah. That room, that place, that, that, that location, shrouded in mystery, covered, covered in, in, in mystique. Nobody knows what's in there. Finally, the veil is rent open. One time a year for years, only one man could go in. And touch God and feel God. And he was afraid the whole time that he might die. And now the veil is rent in twain. And now anybody and everybody can walk into the holiest of all places. And what do you find that is the holiest of all but mercy? Which, which simply means kindness. It's covered in mystery to the carnal man. It's shrouded in confusion to the carnal human being. Men and women, they, over, they overthink it. They, they, over, they overestimate it. They don't know. They think they've got to do this and that. And they've got to measure up here and there. And when you finally break through all the confusion and the veil that stands between you and God and you arrive at the holiest of all his counsel in nature, you find the kindness of God. The mercy of God. Recently, a young man came to me at a convention I was preaching. And I had preached a message on the resurrection. And man, we had good church. I preached about Jesus raising from the dead. And I preached about Lazarus raising from the dead. And I preached about the widow of Nain's son coming back from the dead. And I preached about Jairus' daughter coming back from the dead. And I preached about Elisha's, the Shunammite woman who Elisha raised from the dead. And the son of the widow of Zarephath who Elijah raised from the dead. And the fact that Abraham had believed God and accounted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. If it came to that. And I preached on the resurrection and we're going to be resurrected and God can do anything. He's exceeding abundantly able to do above all we ask or think. And man, we shouted and we stomped and we danced and we gave God praise. And a young teenage young man walked up to me, very sincere. And he said, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. I can't wait. Love good questions. He said, is it foolish? It, never mind, it probably is. I said, no, go ahead, go ahead and ask. He said, is it foolish for me to pray that somebody would come back from the dead who's been gone 10 years? I'm going to tell you that there are a lot of times I, I, I stand and think, man, somebody smarter than me needs to be standing in this pulpit and I said well I said I'll tell you what here's what I would pray if I were you I said I would pray Lord give me a glimpse of the resurrection 
Because I said, when you get a glimpse of the resurrection and you understand all the peace and the power and the glory, it'll give you such closure. And I said, I said, that's the prayer that I would pray. And he said, okay, thank you. He, he said, but I don't, I don't think he was saved. Man, somebody a lot smarter than me. And I, he said, I guess it would be a foolish prayer to pray. And I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what you would have said, and I don't even know what I would have said. I just know what the Lord put on my heart. I said to him, I said, no, it's not foolish. You pray whatever's in your heart to pray. Whatever's in your heart to pray, you pray it. If that's what's in your heart to pray, you bring that to God. You boldly approach his throne of grace. And I said, and I can't, I don't know what he'll say, but I do know that when you leave his presence, you will have your needs supplied. I know that when you stand in the holiest of all places and you're covered with the kindness of God and you're surrounded by the mercy of the Lord, you'll walk out of that room and you'll know I have been with him and he has answered me and he has given my soul rest and he has given my heart peace and I've come to tell somebody here today I don't know how complicated your prayer is and I don't know how deep your need but I know that in the holiest of all places is the kindness and the compassion and the mercy of God You've been separated from it from a long time ago. You've been left out of it for many years. But it's time to rip that veil open. And it's time to step into the glories of his mercy. I told him, I said, you know what? If you pray it, and if it turns out to be a foolish prayer, God will help you to pray the right prayer. He'll teach you what to say. He'll teach you how to pray. He'll lead you in the paths of righteousness. Don't you ever be afraid to bring a prayer to God. Whatever it has to do with, you bring that prayer to God. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. You can bring it all to him. Woo, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel your mercy right now, Lord. I said I feel the mercy of God right now. I feel the kindness and the compassion of a loving Savior. Somebody ought to lift your hands and give him praise and bring your needs to the Lord. Could you stand with me in this house? Hallelujah. 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 Come on, I wonder if there's somebody who's got a real problematic prayer that you don't even feel comfortable bringing. I wonder if you could just whisper it to God right now. Whatever it is, boldly, boldly, boldly approach his throne of grace. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing catches him off guard. He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what you feel. Just confess it to the Lord. Thank him right now for his mercy and his goodness because it is everlasting. Can I tell you that that sinless Savior went into that borrowed tomb and when he went into that borrowed tomb, he went 
went in with no transgression, no iniquity, no sin, no abomination, no blasphemy, and death therefore had no jurisdiction over him. He came up from the grave triumphant over death, and he has given to us the power, the power to be raised with him. Hallelujah. In the likeness of his resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. What big problem do you have? What foolish prayer do you have? I wonder if somebody can bring a foolish prayer to God right now. Bring that big thing. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Listen, listen, listen. We're about to do this over again in just about 40 minutes, but God wants to take a moment right now, and He wants to tell somebody, bring that foolish prayer to me right now. <laughs> but I've been praying it for 20 years, Pastor. Come on, bring it again. Bring it again. The veil has been rent. Mercy is available. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, you can't put on linen that is pure enough. He is the purity. He is the purity. You can't, you can't take a bath that'll cleanse you enough. He is the cleansing. Be baptized in his precious name. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, if you know this mercy that I'm talking about, could you just stand in awe of Him and worship the Lord? If you know this precious mercy that I'm talking about. <laughs> Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Ah, my, my, my. Hallelujah, hallelujah. These altars are open and you're welcome to pray. The Spirit of the living God is in this house. Hallelujah. Right now. Here, right now. Here, right now. Making this place I stand. Holy ground. Holy
Oh, that's it, that's it, that's it. Bring that need to God. Bring that need to God. Closer, closer. Jesus, you're God. 